The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2. I'm Luke Edwards and joining us is sports journalist and currently writing a book as well and growing her women's sports newsletter, The Cherry on Top. And she's also making her first appearance on this podcast. It's Nancy Gillen. Hello, Nancy. Hello, thanks for having me. You've uh, boosted my ego with that intro. <laughs> so, well, thank you for finding the time. It just seems a very busy uh, busy schedule for a start. Uh, yeah, it's not too bad. I'm, I've kind of gone down to part-time hours, so I'm fitting everything in. It's, it's quite a lot of fun, actually, doing different bits and bobs, so enjoying it at the moment. What are you writing a book on? Um, so it's uh, about a 20th century French woman called Alice Milliat, and she... Uh, it's non-fiction. She campaigns for a lot of uh, women's sports stuff, like uh, women's athletics at the Olympics. And she also uh, created her own French women's football team. And they came and toured England in the 1920s and played Dick Her Ladies. Um, so hopefully some some of the listeners might find it interesting when it's out. Yeah. And, and when is it out? Do you know yet? Uh, yeah. So it's the publication date is July 1st. Hopefully that stays on track. I don't fall behind my deadline but um yeah it's intending it intending for it to come out before the olympics because it's the first olympics with like 50 50 uh male female athletes so it ties in quite well with it being the first gender equal olympics so yeah july the first amazing um and also joining us from her football hub we have drew diamond follow that drew <laughs> yeah i know there's absolutely no way is there i was just like googling that to try and pre-order the book now which is about um as high as accomplishment as I can I can go for at the minute. But yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're going to look at the, the Nations League, International Week. It's been a packed week of Nations League football. It was a dramatic game at Wembley on Friday. The Lionesses recovered from a poor first half where they trailed 2-0 to roar back to win 3-2, which meant they needed a win up at Handen against Scotland. And they got that with a 6-0 win. And at that stage, it looked like they would top the group as well because they the goal difference and all that. But then two goals for the Dutch in stoppage time meant that they completed a 4 0 win over Belgium and topped the group, and that there'll be no representation for Team GB at the Olympics next summer. Nancy, you were at Wembley on Friday. I mean, the question I'm going to ask is do you think some complacency have, have crept in for England in this Nations League? Because um, they only seem to turn up in the second half of that game against Netherlands and then Scotland on Tuesday. The rest of it's been a bit underwhelming, hasn't it? Yeah, slightly. I'm not sure if it's, I, f- I think in my opinion, it's it's not complacency, but more, I think they're just really, really tired. And it's kind of the frequency of these high intensity games. Like obviously the Nations League, kind of the point of it is to make sure that the international breaks, it's not just loads of friendlies against teams quite mm. way down the world rankings, which, uh, you know, always end kind of like 10-0 or 15-0 and, and just very one-sided scores like that. So I think having the Euros and then the following summer having the World Cup and reaching the final in both tournaments, I think is also quite a crucial point because it's not like they've done the group stages and then gone home a couple of weeks early before kind of the knockout. Um, Yeah, and then just every international break has meant something. So I don't know if it's just the intensity of the games. They must just be knackered. Um, And then, yeah, I, I mean, the Netherlands game, it was such an interesting one. It was definitely a match of two halves. Um, and it just seems to kind of be defensive errors that that let them down in the first half. But then I, I guess kind of the 
determination to turn it around in the second half and the fact they just, you know, weren't even celebrating. They were scoring, getting the ball straight back to the halfway line, I think showed that they were, they definitely had the mentality to to kind of, you know, reach a Nations League final, but just wasn't to be. Drew, uh, I know it's difficult after a Euros win and reaching the World Cup final, but what questions will Serena Wiegmann have to answer, do you think, if there are any? Um, well, of course, that that question is going to be asked by a few people, I think. But the reality of it is she's done such a good job and had such an impact on English women's football that I don't think there will be many valid questions. Obviously, the Nations League is a, it's a strange one. As Nancy said, it was to get rid of those, you know, pointless friendlies or end up with if teams having to do qualification games against smaller nations. So the quality of these matches speak for themselves and, you know, overturning Scotland 6-0 when they needed as many goals as possible shows how much they wanted it and that she set the team up right. Um, it was just those earlier group stage games that, you know, let them down a bit. And I, I really don't think anyone will be calling for a head or anything like that. No, maybe no, from no. the from the, uh, the other home nation teams that have maybe... They're going to feel this a little bit, might be a little bit annoyed at her, but um, I don't think it'll be too much of a, a topic of conversation going forward. Yeah, Nancy, that's the other thing. I mean, you were talking about the Olympics next summer. I mean, Team GB will not be there now. Do you think it was a difficult one for Scotland because a couple of their players potentially could have got in that squad and it was kind of, um, it was almost a lose-lose situation for them in a way, wasn't it? It was, and I feel sorry for them because they got absolutely smashed and still didn't get the chance to be at the Olympics. So it was a massive lose-lose situation because you'd at least think if they lost 6-0, they'd be like, oh, well, at least there's a chance of maybe playing at the Olympics next summer. And they still didn't even get that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I'm sure we'll probably get into it. But I've got my own opinion about, uh, you know, is it that bad that we won't have Team GB at the Olympics? And I think in, in the case of the England players, I personally don't think it is because, like I said, I think they need a rest. But I do really feel for the Scottish, uh, Northern Irish and Welsh players because they don't really get as much of a chance to compete at these big international tournaments. Um, and the Olympics is is probably the best chance they have. Obviously, you know, you had Northern Ireland at the Euros and Scotland have been at World Cups, but it's just not quite the frequency. So it's just another opportunity for those players to play at a big tournament. So... I think, yeah, they'll probably be quite gutted they're not going to have that next summer. Well, well, let's go into it then. I mean, is it a case of, if you had got to the Olympics, you maybe wouldn't have picked as many England players and, and you spread it out a little bit? I, yeah, I would have either done that or just gone with young players. Like, we know the men's tournament is under 23s. With I think it's you're allowed a, a few um, players older than that. But just maybe kind of, do that ourselves like maybe pick from the other home nations or have players that are a bit younger and coming through and it was it would kind of be the perfect chance to to test those players out uh, in an international tournament setting but maybe you know with less at stake and then maybe resting those senior players but I'm not sure Serena would have done that I just think it's it's still a competitive tournament and I think it'd be really hard to kind of be like you know we're gonna uh, take this one a little less seriously I don't think that's in her nature but if we had got through, I think that's what I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, looking across the rest of the, the Nations League, then France top Ligue Group 2 after a comfortable 3-0 victory over Austria on Friday and then a hard-fought win in Portugal. In Ligue Group 3, Germany beat Denmark on Friday and a battle for top spot was taken by them despite a 0-0 draw in Wales. 
and Wales produced the best result of the Nations League for them. They picked up their first point of the group stage. Denmark slipped to a 1-0 home defeat by Iceland. Wales finished bottom of the group, but there's definitely some positives for them going forward after holding Germany, Drew, isn't there? Yeah, I think the key with Wales is they've got so many established players there that are instantly recognisable, but they're also got such a young team coming through even at the keeper you know Liv she's now playing in the WSL week in week out it's an exciting time for Wales um, and they just need to keep capitalising on this these kind of tractions they get especially with the you know the draw with Germany to, to do that is an achievement in itself and I think it really shows how much they've grown and these younger players are definitely have enough in them to replace the, you know, the the Helen Wards and the people like that that are leaving the team and have left the team. League A Group Four saw Italy pull off the shock of the week. They beat world champions Spain in Spain on Friday, and then they followed up with a three 0 win over Switzerland. And then an incredible game in Malaga saw the Spanish recover from three one down to beat Sweden five three. That meant Italy jumped into second and. This was a great group in the end, and what a recover from Italy. Two wins for their last two, saw them finish second. Um, a good effort by them, wasn't it, considering the group they were in? I think it's a, a massive achievement. I think Italy, uh, I think when you consider just the nation as a whole, how much they love football and how much success the men's team have had, they've always just seemed like they've underperformed. And I know historically we've seen kind of underinvestment in women's football in Italy. Um and now the league is changing and it seems like that's having a bit of an effect on the national team. Um, maybe not so in recent international tournaments, but this Nations League campaign seems really solid. Um, you put them in a group with Spain and Sweden and to get results out of that and to finish second, I think, is is impressive. So I hope this kind of marks a new era for them where they're kind of catalyzing on their uh, domestic league growing and hopefully we'll see a stronger national team. Yeah, because, I mean, um, you, you only have to look at the Champions League, don't you, Nancy, and look at how Juventus did last year and Roma are doing so far this season? Yeah, I think Roma is definitely kind of a sign of, of the success of, of the Italian Women's League and it's just growing and the players they're attracting, you know, big players want to go and play there now. Um, we have seen that in the past, you know, players like Enia Luca going to Juventus, but... I think there was always kind of some issues around pay and what, and they were being whether they were being treated equally and it seems like they've kind of got a really good foundation now. So, yeah, so it's definitely an exciting time for Italian women's football. Elsewhere, the All Ireland clash in Group B saw the Republic win away in Northern Ireland six one. That result mean means that the Republic win six out of six games and are promoted into Group A. Northern Ireland were pipped to second with Hungary also scoring six as they beat Albania. So here's how it all ended then through to the finals. The League A group winners, France, Germany, Netherlands, Spain. Remaining in League A, Austria, Denmark, England and Italy. And relegated from League A were Portugal, Scotland, Switzerland and Wales. That means promoted up from League B, we had Czech Republic, Finland, Poland and Republic of Ireland. And then there's playoffs between League A and B, Belgium, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Croatia, Hungary, Iceland, Norway, Serbia and Sweden are in those. Relegated from Group B are Albania, Belarus, Greece, Romania and Slovenia. Promoted up from League C, you've got Azerbaijan, Israel, Kosovo, Malta and Turkey. And then the playoffs are Bulgaria, Latvia, Montenegro, Northern Ireland, Slovakia and Ukraine. And remaining in League C, Andorra, Armenia, Estonia, Cyprus, 
Faroe Islands, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Moldova, and North Macedonia. The playoffs will take place next year, year to determine who else will get promoted or relegated into the various groups. And the finals will be for the trophy and Olympic qualification. So as I mentioned, that's France, Germany, Netherlands, and Spain. Uh, it's interesting, Nancy, isn't it, that the likes of Sweden, Iceland, and Norway are in a playoff to try and stay in Group A. It is, yeah. I wouldn't have put, I wouldn't have put Sweden there. I know Norway is just con- continuously disappointing, really. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, nice Iceland are a decent team as well, but I think yeah, when you kind of consider the other teams in there, but I think this the whole Nations League has just shown how competitive football is getting across Europe. Um, maybe it's something that we've always known, but when you've got the Euros, you've got a limited amount of teams in there, and this I think is just given more teams the chance to kind of get big upsets against other teams, um, kind of like the traditional heavyweights. So, yeah, I just, I think it's, it's even though maybe it's a bit of a shock to see that calibre of team kind of fighting against relegation, I think it's ultimately a good thing. Overall then, both of you, would you say that despite everyone trying to work out how it all works, who qualifies for what? Has the Nations League been a success? Yeah, I, I think that, that, um, that last 10 minutes of watching England and Scotland and... Netherlands and Belgium was one of the most exciting 10 minutes of football I've, I've watched um, this year. So I think a competition that creates that kind of drama, um, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, same for me, really. The level of excitement that it's created, like those goals in extra time meaning so much. I mean, I'll take the Nations League over an Arnold Clark Cup any day of the week, which may be a controversial opinion. Um, but yeah, as Nancy said, it's it's creating a really high point in European women's football internationally and the matches are, are the payoff for that and they're absolutely entertaining and yeah long long may it continue Disclaimer if the, the organisers are the Arnold Clark Cup listening uh, that wasn't <laughs> me that said that <laughs> Yeah I'll take that I know we try and that. go every year so I don't want to, I don't want my uh, access blocked Drew <laughs> <laughs> My apologies <laughs> Elsewhere then this week, the Carney report was published and the report recommends that there's world leading standards for players, fans, staff and everyone in the women's game, a restoration of the talent pathway needed to create future generations of lionesses, professionalisation across the top two tiers to attract and develop the best players in the world and also more importantly as well, the lack of diversity to be addressed across the women's game in on-pitch and off-pitch roles. The broadcasting as well, they need to dedicate a new time slot with them, so they're going to work with that, hopefully. Adopting more measures to support fans, provision of equal access to school sports for girls, and more investment in grassroots facilities and better access for females. When the review was published, Carney said domestic women's football could become a billion-pound industry in 10 years. And on top of that as well, only last week, Women's Super League and Women's Championship Clubs agreed to form a club-owned organisation that will run women's professional football in England from next season. It will take control of the WSL and Championship from the FA with each club in the top two tiers acting as shareholders. And former night director Nikki Doucet will be the organiser's chief exec. So then... What do you both make of the report and also the changes to the WSL and championship going forward? Yeah, I mean, the the quote that came out of the report for me that struck me most powerfully was that it was failing to maintain safety and protect the players, um, which I think is an, an absolute minimum standard that has evaded certain certain areas of women's sport and especially women's football for a long time. And I think any sort of report that deep dives into that 
is incredibly important work. And I think this report highlighted a lot of positive ways how that can change. Um, and I think, you know, it, I'm not one to complain about investment, but the new co thing, as they're calling it, um, taking over the championship and the WSL, whilst on the face of it, it sounds really positive. I don't think there's enough information out there at the moment about how they would do that, the the formats they would use. And I can, my main worry is that some teams will be left behind and struggle to, to catch up with this um, quote unquote billion pound industry um, that women's football could and should become. Um, and I, I would just like to see some more details eventually released by Newco and just say, on how they will avoid that happening to, to lower tier teams. And, you know, if they do make a 20 tier league, that, that means some teams get left out. Some teams maybe have to drop down, move up. Are they ready for that? Um, but the report in itself is a huge, a huge positive in that a lot is being highlighted in it and it's very transparent. Um, so yeah, hopefully some good work comes from this. Yeah, I'm quite I'm quite interested to see how, uh, I guess, I mean, I, I think the timing is obviously on purpose, the fact that this new organisation, uh, NUCO, is, uh, you know, getting ready to launch and, and they've voted to to go ahead with it, with the timing of the government approving uh, Karen Carney's report. So obviously there's, you know, a lot of conversation now about how women's football is going to develop, but I'm quite interested just to see how the two interact because there's no, uh, you know, it's not going to, like that NUCO is going to be like held by this report it's recommendations so it's going to be interesting to see like how much they take on board or implement um like Drew said I think there's obviously quite limited details at the moment but I would want to see with NUCO like as Drew said making sure that no teams are kind of getting left behind but just quite detailed on how the whole of football the whole football pyramid is going to benefit from this like obviously this is the top two tiers going professional and that's also what Karen Carney has advised as well but how is that then going to affect the the tiers below that and grassroots um yeah so I'm kind of interested to see what happens with that and just making sure that uh kind of the whole the whole of women's football is benefits from it um and yeah I, I guess just kind of avoiding the pitfalls of of the Premier League I mean money of course is good and we want investment and we want female players to be paid well and have everything they need to you know do that just do play the sport they love at the top level but there's things about you know in the Premier League it costs so much money to go and watch a game or I know we're seeing this in the WSL a bit now but fans just getting messed around by broadcasters and yeah I kind of want to see like a sign that we're not necessarily being like right Premier League makes all this money mm -hmm. one of the best football leagues in the world like we're going to copy it like how can we avoid the pitfalls of that and make sure that women's football is still like affordable for people to go to and people you know it's accessible um, but then still be profitable and, and sustainable as well so there's a lot I think a lot of details to come so I'm going to be interested to see what well, int interestingly as well on the broadcast side of it there's there's a suggestion that um, because the with the new Premier League deal that the Saturday 3pm blackout remains and they may well stick a WSL game in there, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not because will people generally watch it? Because the idea of the Saturday 3pm blackout is people go out to watch games. So if there's only, I mean, maybe you move the Sunday games that are in the WSL to 3pm on a Saturday and people can go and watch them then. Um, what do you think of that? 
Yeah, it's quite interesting because like you said, it's kind of the reason there is traditionally the 3pm blackout is to make people go. So then is putting women's football on them like signifying that you value it less because you don't care if not many people uh, are watching it. I don't know. I do think that obviously the 3pm 3 3pm 3 blackout, I think, is a bit outdated and maybe has served its purpose anyway. Um, and yeah, I think... I think in some ways maybe it is a better slot for fans anyway than currently you're getting Sundays at 6.45. It's the slot on Sky, which is if you've got a match on the other side of the country, it's impossible for fans to get there. So I guess it is maybe a more convenient time uh, for, for, for match-going fans and for people watching on TV as well. Um, I do also quite like the idea of just a dedicated slot for women's football and maybe people like get to know that's when you watch women, women's football. Um so, yeah, interested to see how that develops as well. Interestingly, talking of um, kickoff times, the WSL is back this weekend and it starts off on Saturday with Manchester City against Aston Villa at midday. Um, I think the eye catching game, though, is Arsenal against Chelsea, which is a half 12 kickoff on the Sunday. And as you mentioned, there is a late kickoff as well, Spurs against Manchester United. But I think that's a standout game, Arsenal Chelsea, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll be. I'm an Arsenal fan so I'll be at the Emirates for that but <laughs> I think that is uh, defining really we kind of found ourselves in a situation again where uh, Chelsea are, are leading and to see them go six points clear of everyone else I kind of think everyone will just think well are they going to be caught I'm not sure so um, I think to really to have any kind of title race Arsenal need to take points off them in my opinion Drew, what what game stands out for you in the WSL? That game as well, and I, I hate to go over the point again, but if uh, Lauren James can kind of keep the form she's in at the minute, I would hate to be an Arsenal defender. Um, she was absolutely unreal for England. Um, but, you know, a, a game that always stands out to me, I, I love a relegation battle. Um, I find them almost more enjoyable than title races because the stakes are so much higher. Um, so Liverpool-Bristol is one I'm going to be watching out for. I feel like it's a game that Bristol can potentially win and then really kind of drag Aston Villa down back into that um, relegation kind of panic again uh, that I do love to watch kind of sadistically. Um, with Aston Villa playing Man City, I feel like, you know, that's... that's um, a tough game for them that they 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 probably won't pick up some points um, and if Bristol can even grab a draw then yeah fantastic it's the FA Cup as well this weekend and I think one of the standout fixtures is Darwin against Blackburn Blackburn of course in the championship Darwin the lowest ranked team left in the competition and of course the neighbours the barely a stones throw from each other so I think that's the the game that most people are picking out as well um is there any sort of FA Cup ties that, that take your fancy? Of course, the Championships teams are in it this round. Quite intrigued by uh, Lewis Ipswich, just because Lewis have been really struggling this season. Um, and I think it kind of goes both ways. Like I think Ipswich will be looking at it as a potential upset, but then Lewis will probably be thinking, we're not doing very well in the league, so let's try and build some form get a bit of confidence in the FA Cup. So I think that one should be interesting. Yeah, just to touch on that Darwin versus Blackburn game. Darwin have got um, Ali Johnson, formerly of Blackburn and Durham and Liverpool. Um, so it'd be great for her. She came through the Blackburn Academy. So it'd be a huge game for her. I know it's like a 
a moment in history for Darwin women anyway to have got that far. Um, but there's so many great fixtures. I love seeing when the championship teams start getting pulled in. Uh, Milton Keynes versus Birmingham will be a great fixture. Um, and West Brom versus Durham as well. West Brom love a cup upset. Um, and Durham are a very up and down team. They can have a really turn up and beat the likes of Man United or, or they can completely capitulate. So be interesting to see which Durham turns up and whether West Brom can uh, grab a surprise there as well. Yeah, I also consult with Dan Pentland, who we get on a lot. He's our lower league guru. And he, he suggested Portsmouth against Southampton as well, which is obviously a South Coast derby. Portsmouth going okay in the National League. Southampton with big ambitions, of course, as well. They're going well in the Championship. So that'll be a tasty game as well, you feel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Portsmouth, since 71, a great website for women's football, do a lot of coverage on that team. So I kind of know a little bit about them. They've got a soft spot for them, but... I think the form Southampton are in at the minute, it might be like a, a seven niller. Um, not to throw too many predictions out there, but I think Southampton will be fairly comfortable in that game. But it'll be a, it'll be a nice watch anyway. I think two of the other games he picked were rugby and Ipswich to cause shocks. I know you mentioned Ipswich already, but rugby's thrown in there as well. Now we're going to talk to Jamie Barker. He's a former footballer and he's also a dad with daughters and he's going to explain why he wanted them to play football and also his role as a volunteer and coach at girls grassroots football hello jamie hi luke now jamie first of all you were at wembley on friday night just tell us about that yeah i was i took um i took my daughter and a friend on friday we had a mad rush after school to get down to london um but as soon as we hit the old wembley park there the, the atmosphere was was amazing. Took a few videos of, you know, Olympic Way and, and the girls walking down to Wembley, and there was I think there was about seventy thousand people there, so it was a, a great atmosphere. Um, yeah, I mean, the, shame the first half didn't live up live up to it, but the second half was electric. That was that was really good. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see, isn't it? Especially over the last couple of years. I mean, the fact that Wembley near enough sells out that when it sells out now, whenever the Lionesses play there. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was expecting it to sell out, to be honest. Obviously, the weather didn't help, but 70,000 is not bad, is it? Compared to, I think our first game we went to was Northern Ireland in um, 2021, and I think they had about 20,000 there. So within two years, they've they've come a long way, haven't they? Absolutely. Now, of course, the Lionesses, they're inspiring girls to play football. As I mentioned, you've got daughters yourself. And um, what kind of made you sort of not push them in a way, but kind of guide them to play football? Um, well, for me, uh, I've, I've played sport, not just football, all my life. Um, I've got some amazing friends. I've had some unbelievable experiences at Histon, um, playing in FA Cup and things like that. Um, but, you know, I wasn't expecting my girls necessarily to go into it. I was expecting perhaps ballet or something else that, that may come along, but a bit stereotypical. But you, you never know with, with young young kids. Um, but for me, you know, the social side of it, um, the fitness and mental health is another thing. It's very important with kids growing up nowadays, especially with uh, with phones and things like that and screens all the time. Um, but I just know the benefits. And, and for me, I don't think there's anything better than a, a team sport, really, especially for kids. And, and how old are your daughters at the minute? So they're 10 and 12 at the moment. They both play in separate teams. I've managed both of them over the last three years at different stages. Um, and yeah, there's just a great atmosphere around the grassroots club, really. And I presume they're enjoying it, are they? 
they are enjoying it. Yeah, I don't force them out the door. You know, they're ready and shin pads on in the mornings and, and raring to go. So um, they've got a lot of friends and, and they've met a lot of friends through football that perhaps they wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, you know, going to school, you, you're in your own little group, aren't you? But they've met um, other girls from different villages and towns. So, you know, it's expanding their environment, if you like, and, and growing them as people. And just explain as well your, your role as a volunteer and a coach at, at that grassroots level. Yeah, so I started with the Wildcats program probably about, I think, about three and a half years ago. So girls, football, um, between five and 11-year-old, they come along on a Sunday morning and have a little kick about and a little bit of fun. It's not always football. It might be, I don't know, bulldog and tag and things like that. Um, and then we progressed and we managed to get two teams out of the Wildcats at different ages. It was four different ages, actually. Um, so we started off with two teams and we've, we've now grown um, to seven teams and counting. Um, so it's, it's proven to be really popular and a great space for young girls, really. Yeah, I mean, women's football is just such a progressive sport in, in general. Now you get girls. I mean, when I went to school, and I'm sure when you went to school as well, that um, <clears throat> girls playing football at school wasn't an option, really, was it? It wasn't an option. Actually, um, my sister, she started off, she's two years older than me, but she started playing in my team. Um, and, it, and it was only on a friendly basis. Um, she played a whole season. Um, so she probably would have been about 10 years old, which is the age of my youngest daughter. And, and that was her first and last season. There was nowhere for her to go after that. They wouldn't let her play it once she was 11. Um, and she actually got player of the year out of our team. It wasn't a token effort. She was the best player. Yeah. Um, but after that, she hasn't, she hasn't played in the team since, which is a real shame. Yeah. And I suppose that's, that's the big thing now with the grassroots and, and the investment coming into it. It's important that you get girls involved. And, uh, I mean, especially at this time of year when it's cold and wet, it's, it's having the motivation as well to be a volunteer and to get the girls out playing must be a, And then see, but seeing them do well must be a big satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, some people may be surprised at the girls' attitudes, actually. You know, I have um, I run an under-13 team. Um, and we've, we've even this, just this season, we've gone from 17 to 21 in a squad. Um, and, and girls keep turning up. They turn up in their droves, you know, freezing cold weathers. And, and there's sort of 18, 19 there every week. Um, so, you know, they love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I love doing it. And, you know, that, that's part of the rewarding part, isn't it? You're seeing these girls at the end of it. And I mean, they can be challenging. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, they're coming up to teenage years. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're out there and they're doing it. And, and that's the reward for me, really. What what do you want to see then in, in, in five years' time in terms of girls' football and grassroots in general? Um, girls' football, I think, will just continue to grow as it is. I think... Um, more availability uh, like our, our grassroots club like I say we've got seven teams but it'd be great to sort of pick up and perhaps have a, a team per age group that would be really nice um, grassroots could I think do a, a bit more um, helping girls with with I don't know disabilities maybe or um, different sections I mean let's let's no bone make no bones about it girls are slightly different from boys aren't they you know we're, we're sort of almost different animals and we grow at different rates and um it would be good to sort of um you know look into that and and um sort of appreciate it really um, but availability is key get that availability out there and um and, and be part of the community as well drew nancy thanks very much for joining us are you off to games this weekend 
Yes, I'll be at Arsenal Chelsea. Uh, fingers crossed for an upset, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, that that should be good. It's looking like near sellout crowd at the Emirates as well, which is always great to see. Is that a professional or a non-professional capacity? That is a non-professional capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, are uh, you up no. to uh, any games? No, I'll be helping our editing team uh, remotely this week. So we're making sure her football have all our match reports out for the week. So unfortunately, no matches for me, although I'm hoping to uh, go and see some European matches into the new year. So that'll be nice. That is it. Thank you very much for joining us. We are on social media. You can give us a follow on at TWFP1 on X or Twitter, whichever you want to call it. And on Instagram, it is the Women's Football Podcast. Don't forget as, as well to subscribe and leave us a review. You can subscribe via all good podcasting platforms. Thanks for listening. The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2.